insight to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bever. And man, we are again, we are back uh, in action uh, doing this thing. So um, I didn't mention it. I mean, I mentioned it in the update and everything. But if anybody's new um, or you're just getting around to it, whatever the situation is, uh, now Tag Your It podcast is a uh, coalition of two dudes, two different states, um, and now like, Lynn Valley's pretty rural. Rural. I'm gonna have to say rural now because I'm yes. in the rural. I can't say rural because that would be a city boy thing to do. But now, so you're rural and I'm rural. So th- we're coming to you from Lynn Valley, Kansas, which is Dave, and now I'm in the uh, beautiful Brighton, Missouri. Uh, just a nice unincorporated. So we, we got like gated community versus, uh, I guess, uh, unincorporated community. So I lost the thing there because if anybody watches this show and you are a caller from a call center doing spam calls, um, you're getting in the way of tag your it time. So uh, if you have any control over like the numbers you're calling, um, do not call my number on Mondays. How about that? Let's uh, keep it there. So anyway, we're, we're still, have you noticed, with, uh, have you noticed an uptick in uh, spam calls over the last like few oh, months? Heck yeah. Heck it's yeah. like, and I mean, as a barber, my phone number's on my license. So um, if it's a business license, like I had before with my first barbershop, yeah, it puts me on lists everywhere. So I still probably getting that. And there's some other things with the move. I'm sure my number's out everywhere. But anyway, that's... Uh, I have no get clue off how many... I used to not get them all the time. Now it's like uh, at least two or three a day. And so oh, I think like... Much more I'll, on my I'll block phone. numbers. I'll block numbers. And I don't think that that does anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, AI is going to basically exist to call you all day to annoy you, I think. Uh <laughs> <laughs> we need to rethink this thing. <laughs> so anyway, well, man, it's, it's awesome to be back in the studio with you, Dave. And uh, also just uh, hopefully we end up uh, sparking some discussions and getting more interaction back on, uh, you know, in the Facebookiverse and um, at the at the annual meetings and just any time we're out and about. Hopefully we get some more interaction again um, so we can get generate more topics and be able to help. Uh, the churches and the uh, Missouri Baptist Convention that we are involved with and even outside of the Missouri Baptist Convention and the SBC, you know, there's, uh, we thank all of you um, who have uh, be, have just been listening, but if you could make your voice heard and uh, send us emails and uh, messages on Facebook, that'd be awesome. If you could subscribe on YouTube, make sure you uh, put a review out. So like I said, I'm going to do the whole Joel Webin thing and I know you don't have money. We're not asking for it, but we're just asking for a couple minutes of your time to put a review in, five-star it, and uh, subscribe, whatever. Put a review on your favorite podcast app. Get the stuff out. So um, we are going to do something awesome, aren't we, Dave? That's right. We have not been able to get together in a while, and now we are back together, and we're going to go back to an old classic which is oh, looking at a meme and discussing its implications for the Christian faith, the cultural artifact, and what it is stating, at least as a teaching tool or at least an attempted teaching tool to individuals, because that's what a meme often is, teaching some type of lesson to Christians or non-Christians about the world, captured with an image and a few lines. Sometimes the image is not connected to the text. Sometimes the text is just the text with some type of a background picture, and that's kind of what we have here. The definition of meme is always an interesting piece culturally, 
but we certainly have found one that is at least catching our attention because of the statement that is making as many in liberal Christianity, and by that I mean unbelieving Christianity, those who would call themselves Christians but have no distinctives that would allow them to be bound to other Christians. And so we see that going on here. In fact, we've dealt with this individual in the past. And so I'll go ahead and uh, put up this meme for us, and then Adam, let you give us just a a little bit of background on this individual because we've certainly um, engaged this person before. And we're looking at this meme, and so uh, it's more than just a meme. We're wanting to kind of capture because, like, this you get memes like this again. Uh, our tagline here at Tag is "Think before you meme." And uh, now that uh, somebody's hopefully maybe thought about what they meme, and it looks like he did think about what he memed, and he provided some context on why he uh, put it up and stuff like that. So we get to sort of deal with the meme itself. And then we get to deal with a little bit of his commentary, and then we've got some comments on that. But this was shared by uh, a buddy of mine on Facebook anyway. He was an SBU graduate. Um, He was in the uh, punk rock and metal circles whenever I was playing in punk rock and metal circles back in the day here in the uh, Midwestern region anyway. So uh, last time we dealt with uh, JR was whenever... uh, we were talking about Rodney Reeves and all the stuff at SBU and, and all that going on and how his reaction was, you know, to the to everything that went on there with the trustees and all that kind of stuff. His reaction to the theology and the theological school and all that stuff was the last time we dealt with him. And so, I mean, we're not really dealing with him, but he was the one that dealt had, had shared the meme saying Christians pay attention so this is uh, apparently a message that uh him just and just to put it through there you know he's a he's a pastor of a very inclusive um nazarene church here in missouri so um that's why it's it's hitting home is it's not missouri's not the only place where this is this is everywhere um so but just to kind of just give background not trying to poison the well or anything just to give context um, in various places that i can provide context because again um, a lot of times memes are just one-liners and we live in an age where every reading is a misreading. <laughs> That's post. I have no clue so who like, Sarah yeah. Bessie is, um, yeah. but obviously it's someone that Jr. and Tom believe are is of value as a teacher, and that those who confess Christ really need to make sure that they pay attention to this because this somehow either emphasizes the words of Christ or states them in a better way. So yeah. Christians really need to learn from what is being stated here. So, yeah. I, I just, so yeah, the meme says, uh, for the people that are listening to the podcast here real quick, um, I don't know if it was intentional put to, to put the uh, rainbow colors uh, behind the words. Maybe it is. Um, that's something that we don't have to go down a rail trail with, but just to describe the meme. Uh, so maybe you can visualize it while you're listening. But it's on that kind of background. It says, people should never be the collateral damage of your theology and it's a a quote from sarah bessie and so uh, we can dig into it again this was shared by a friend of mine on facebook at least what an acquaintance now Uh, not not in the real sense of friend um, but acquaintance facebook friend um, who shared it from a guy named tom furist and if i remember correctly i looked him up and he would be a pastor of a methodist church so there's kind of where we're at 
A little background on Sarah Bessie, by the way. She's a best-selling and critically acclaimed author of Jesus and Feminism and Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. Uh, she has, the, of course, the author of her latest book, Field Notes for the Wilderness, Practices for an Evolving Faith. She is, of course, a Nebraskan, by the way, but she would certainly fall into, at least in my mind, uh, more of what I would say a non-believing or loosely defined neo-Christian type of faith. Um, I don't really see on her, of course, background much about where she has graduated from, but different things like that. So certainly someone who would uh, fall into our category of what I would say age group, uh, but someone who certainly takes a different approach on uh, the Christian faith in general. So that's who Sarah Bessie is, by the way, just yeah. uh, an author uh, who would fall into the, uh, in my mind, more of a liberal view of Christendom. Certainly, she is not going to accept the inerrancy of God's word, the sufficiency, the authority, or the clarity of it. Jesus is more of a social organizer type of reality for someone like Sarah Bessie, as opposed to, I don't know, God incarnate who died to save sinners from the wrath that is to come, uh, the due punishment of their sin. So, that would be the type of mindset of Bessie not trying to poison the well. And it seems that JR and, of course, Tom here believe that we should be listening to that. Uh, yeah. Tom actually yeah. gives a little preface to his sharing of the meme uh, that people should neither never be the collateral damage of your theology. Tom says this, as Jesus said, people were not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was for people. Implication. We do not exist to promote the dignity of our theological or ethical principles. Theology and ethics exist to promote the dignity of the human race. Interesting little piece in my mind. Uh, number one, I just think a great definition here would be exceptionally important. What do we mean by theology, right? So just jumping into Tom before I get into the actual meme itself. Uh, Frame says that theology is the application of the Word of God by persons to all areas of life, and uh, Grudem states that any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given subject or definitions for theology? And uh, Adam, you have a great definition of theology we were talking about. So when we talk about theology, what do we mean? Yeah, I mean, it's and the funny thing is, is the profundity of it it's uh just the doctrine of god and and really it's going to be where's your starting point mm. and it's going to be uh chapter 7.1 again it's going to be something that is reiterated on the show a lot that god has condescended down to us and revealed himself to us so the self-attest like if god is not self-attesting if he is not transcendent if he is not absolute on all this stuff then nothing makes sense that's the tag you're at um, issue is uh, you know without that revelation running parallel with his revelation that he created in his word, then you can't know anything, you can't do anything rationally, and we're just no better. We're just happenstance um, animals that are just flapping our gums. And uh, again, get down to post modernity, like why not? You know, if every reading is a misreading. You know, if we're if we're here, um, that's what it leads to, and people have no problem with that. 
uh, but they're doing it all the time. But it's the, it's the study of God, and it's one of those things. Are we transcending up to? Are we coming up with what God would be like? Uh, uh, William Lane Craig, most ansel- uh, most excellent being, or are we getting the word from the most excellent being? And which one is our starting point, our brains or the mind of God? And I understand that from uh, the Institutes, there, uh, Calvin kind of gives that conundrum. But we know, we know that uh, we were, we are derivative, and God was self-existent. And so it has to start with God, or else you'll go nowhere, and you'll drive your car into a wall because you have no lines to guide you if you're not following um, God. And so again, it's just the study of what God has revealed of, of himself. And again, chapter 7.1, we would, and this would be in the Westminster and the London Baptist Confessions. I like to always throw them together um, because it states that we would not have any fruition of him and we would not know him as our blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on his part in which he was pleased to do. So God comes down, knowledge comes down. We don't ascend up with knowledge over time and, that's humanism. And if you look at the quote, just to, even, just to get to the conclusion, he is not selling you Christianity. He is not selling you theology. He's selling you anthropology. So right there, you already got a problem. So this is anthropology, what he's selling you, whenever he says your theology should not cause collateral damage, and we can deal with that. Um, but uh, he, he, this, he's not even arguing the point. So, like, there's this, again, like, he misread it, but these words have meaning, and he misread it, and we know that because we know what theology is, um, we can know what collateral damage is, and those words can actually have meaning and staying power, um, unless if you're just told everything just evolves and everything's all crazy and gobbledygook, but then again, you're not going to get an actual academic, um, be able to be academic in a real sense uh, that way, so... As I look at Sarah Bessie's original quotation, essentially what she's stating, dealing with some definitions, those who are made in the image of God should never be the unintentional casualties of your understanding of who God is. So those made in the image of God should never be hurt by, unintentionally, by your understanding of who God is. Well, by the very nature of a person having any type of theology, and this seems to be a very arbitrary and vague definition of theology, what type of theology is that? Because everyone has a the- has an understanding of who God is. Everyone by nature is a theologian. So the un- unintended consequences of, of course, this statement of theology, I imagine, though, that she is, of course, trying to deal with what many would term fundamentalist or Bible-believing Christians, in fact, actually. Uh, she's basically saying that their understanding of who God is should never be something that is damaging to other people, to which I would say, yeah. according to who? Like, according to who? Because yeah. the God doesn't ever begin, at least the God revealed in Scripture, the Christian God who has revealed himself to his creation— in his creation, has never stated anything quite like that. In fact, God often says in his word that no one is righteous, no, not one, no one does good. Well, it never occurs to God whether his statements are going to hurt people's feelings. Jesus called people a brood of vipers, right? He made it quite clear when he, of course, corrected Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. I'm pretty sure 
that there was a, a bad feeling. So no one, of course, according to Sarah Bessie, can ever have a view or understanding of God that would hurt other people, according to who? Because yeah, that's, that's not the, the God yeah, of Scripture. Yeah. yeah, and the one thing is, is like the, the just looking at the meme without uh, Tom's uh, commentary here, um, you know, people should never be the collateral damage of your theology. So you're leaving room with direct damage. So UK with direct damage. So, so if you intentionally, you're saying, so you're not saying, yeah, this this meme doesn't say um, that there should be no damage. So it's just collateral damage. And then what does that mean? And so, like, you know, whenever I first read this, I'm like going like, well, the uh, another way, the, the opposite of this would be, you know, whenever Jesus was uh, talking to a woman and, uh, you know, he was like, you know, don't uh, give what is holy to dogs. And then she turns around and goes, but don't some of the dogs eat the scraps from the table, you know, that fall on the floor, you know, basically. And. And he's like, you answered correctly. And I mean, that's in the context, you know, whenever you, you got to consider the context of the New Testament. Um, Gentiles were dogs. And we know that Paul brings it to a head that um, God has taken the, what the Jews thought was the kingdom. He's taken a, their kingdom away from them to institute the real kingdom of Christ. And that the Gentiles would come in willingly and they would love it. And the Jews were just like Jonah. In that situation where they hated the Gentiles so much, they didn't care about their salvation. They had even gotten rid of the marketplace. They, they filled the, their place of prayer with the animals and everything like that, kicking the Gentiles out, right? So uh, in that sense, you have, um, you have like what could be seen as collateral issues, uh, you know, unintended people coming into the kingdom. But it actually was intentional. So I don't think this uh, meme even makes sense because theology is going to directly either give somebody life or directly going to be death to them. There's no neutrality. So if, you know, to say unintentional, so if I'm having a conversation, um, say, with, you know, so our stance, again, it was a biblical homosexuality is a sin. All right, I'm talking to a homosexual and I am saying that. Now, I'm talking to that person directly. Now, the person over here, if they're homosexual, I'm, they're not my direct audience that I'm talking to. But then they're hurt by my theology of, well, because I don't um, like what we'll get into Tom's quote. I don't uh, make a distinction. I make a distinction. But then again, it's all rooted. Uh, ethics are because who God is. And so well, everything is conflated thing. in God. Right. Yeah. And so so then is he collateral damage? No, like I'm directly still dealing with this person out here while I'm dealing. So that's still so I don't even get the idea of collateral damage, unintended targets, um, because I'm attacking not the person, actually, I, because the thing is, I recognize that they're made in the image of God. And I'm talking to them going like, you want to kill yourself. You think that your death will separate you from the God that you hate. You're trying to run from him. And I want you to come back because he has said he is gracious and merciful and he has love and grace to a thousand generations. And he is offered today as a day. Like if it's called today, you can have salvation. You can repent. No gotchas. Welcome. Welcome in to the family. Right. Um, and so that person's hearing it. They're hurt by it. This person might repent. Is that collateral damage? No. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, so now we're going to have to uh, re revise what words mean. 
And this all comes from a victim mentality lens, not the Bible. Again, there's this meme, um, and his commentary is going to sell you humanism, not theology. Yep. And his comment is, as Jesus said, people were not made, made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for people. And then he writes, implication, we do not exist to promote the dignity of our theological or ethical principles. Theology and ethics exist to promote the dignity of the human race. False. False. I would disagree with and his implications on, of course, his applying Jesus's words of the Sabbath not being people not, excuse me, people not, people were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people. Why people, why the Sabbath was made for people was because God rested. God rested and his and those made in his image need rest. That's why the Sabbath was given to demonstrate that we were connected to our creator by that very need for rest. He desired and to also, take yeah. rest in him. And there's also the yeah, there's also the the aspect of life and salvation because Jesus comes back and says, "Well, you know, me and my father have been working it's like, wait a second, but God rested on the seventh day. Well, he rested from what? This is why you don't add or take away words. They're clear, and they're in there. He rested from creation, right? But he was still working. And so in that context, you have the disciples going out and picking heads of grain, mm-hmm. and the Jews coming in saying, you're doing work. But they were working for life, and that's what Jesus said. He's like, don't you guys pull out an, an ox that falls in a hole? You're doing work. But isn't that work for life? And if God does not strike you down for pulling out an animal, how much is he not going to strike you down for allowing them to glean a little bit of uh, grain on a, on a Sabbath day because they're, they're, they're going for life? So food is life. You take away a grindstone, it's life, <laughs> you know? And so, again, like uh, the Jews were not practicing grace and mercy upon these people. And so that's what Jesus is compounding, expounding on, on, on how things work. They were not being gracious. They, they were not doing justice correctly, and they were not applying grace correctly to their brothers. Well, I would... So that's what he was attacking. So you have to bring in that context. You can't just take, again, what he wants to do is just like what he did with this meme put a bunch of not context in there and just let it flow fly out in the ether and he's treating the bible as this like you know like you're reading the proverbs and they're all separated like there's nothing connecting them my question is trying to connect them again humanism yeah my question would be okay in sharing this quotation what if i am the collateral damage what if i am the casualty of your statement in other words what if it hurts me Right. What if it hurts me that you think people should never be the damage, the collateral damage of your theology? You're making a judgment statement on me that hurts me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, by implication of your meme itself, you have demonstrated its inability to actually act because someone will respond to it in a negative sense no matter what. Therefore, can you even share a meme like this? Because you can't judge. You can't say yeah. things that cause people's feelings to be hurt. 
Therefore, you've demonstrated the absurdity of this type of statement because when you make a statement, you're making a moral judgment. This is an ethical statement. Sharing it is an ethical statement. Therefore, your ethical statement is saying that what I believe is unethical. Therefore, making a judgment demonstrating that your fundamental statement of I, you should never hurt anyone is actually uh, is actually absurd. Yeah. So, you know, so like, you know, the, again, that first the first issue is false analogy. It breaks down because it's a false analogy Two, it's just I mean, it's just it's, because it's a false anal- analogy. It's incredibly wrong, which leads you to the implication. So like there is no um, again, if you like there's there's a way to exposit things. And so you have to go from you have to do the grammatical historical work and then you have to go then then theological reflection and then do your that that how you do your contextualization you go from them then theological reflection us now easy uh you know i have to always thank david helm for his expositional uh, preaching book and drawing out that diagram because it has helped me a lot to think about what to ask of the text to oh yeah and, well it's, it's and, interesting and to get there and so yeah but without that this is all you have is Sabbath, uh, I'm just going to pull an implication here and that has, wait, after you do the theological reflection and then, then, no, it doesn't make sense at all. Yes, the great eisegesis of the text, Tom, good work. But he has a friend uh, by the name of David Hall who does respond to him, which is an interesting piece here, by the way, giving us a little bit of understanding. Hall says to Tom, uh, I always appreciate your posts because they are thought-provoking even in the moments we may not agree on certain points. I wanted to ask a question about your final assertion or for clarification, if I may. You said theology and ethics, theology and ethics to promote dignity of the human race. If I understand you correctly, you're saying you need to not be entrenched in our dogmatic theological positions, but we but be engaged in dynamic process of continually examining whether or not our inherent ideologies are life-giving or detrimental to the task of promoting dignity of the human race. Is that a fair understanding? In your mind, who determines what promotes the dignity of the human race? Is this a larger roundtable conversation with voices spanning across history and representing a disparate people groups who typically have not had a voice as well as those who have? If so, how do you think disagreements on these issues should be handled? Outstanding response, mm-hmm. to, in my mind. And I think that that demonstrates a great thorough under uh, at least questioning of the text that marks uh, at least kind of where we are, to which mm-hmm. uh, Tom did give a bit of a response. He said, um, yeah. I don't think it's a democracy where everyone has equal say, the powerful and the unpowerful alike. Now, again, what he does there is actually diverts, again, red herrings, this question, not directly answering it. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what is right is essentially what David Hall is asking, which is what we're saying. According to who? By what standard? And he never makes it clear in stating, again, I don't think it's a democracy where everyone has equal say. That's right. Everyone doesn't have equal say. Well said, Tom. God says. If we lived in a perfect world, then maybe democracy could be how we could handle such questions. False. No, we couldn't. God has said it's not what we decide. We don't get to vote on what is right. As it is, I think the people who are the most deeply hurt and affected by our beliefs should have the greater say than they currently do. So it's one of those things, again, um, we talked about it in the last episodes um, where we talked about partiality in the SBC. 
That's the problem. We talk about it whenever we talk about partiality and uh, pro-life, the pro-life movement. That that like that shows you the liberalizing. So like I saw a cool diagram of where you just had like biblical Christianity, and then kind of throughout history you have some of all these things, and it really deals with the epochs of uh, philosophy and all that kind of stuff too. And then you get down to this. Uh, um, conservative and liberal Christianity type thing. And guess what? It's a part of the same secular beast. So you're both liberal <laughs> because you're trying to transcend up because uh, the Enlightenment was so awesome. And you're gonna, if you're Catholic, you're gonna agree because uh, that's what they did with Thomas Aquinas. And uh, again, you're trying to transcend yourself and ascend to the heavens. And so you get the Russo skyhook morality and ethic and all that kind of stuff. They're suspended on nothing. They're grounded in nothing. And so it's like your presuppositions that can't even account for, like, you know, again, you're going to use your reasoning to reason that your reasoning is valid. Mm. And and then you're going to do the science thing with uh, using uniformity to find out if the world's uniform or not. And it's like, wait a second, you're already assuming uniformity in that, and you can't do the scientific method. So you need an account. And so this becomes the worldview issue it is. And so, you know, so you have to have God's revelation. He has to come down and say what is right. And, you know, getting into the next part of his commentary on that. uh, Let me scroll up here um, on the whole issue of theology and ethics is to promote the dignity of the human race. And it's like, no. So so God is basically making us higher beings than himself. That's what theology is for. And uh, that's, you know, like that's that's borderline sort of Gnosticism of maybe a bad demiurge gets to repent through the people he made. And then we get to be better than the demiurge that created us like this. This is not coming from um, like the Bible at all. But then again, like do Methodists like which which section of Methodists care about the Bible? Um, the Church of the Nazarene, you call it, you, you care about Jesus, but he liked the Bible, so <laughs> he didn't have any questions about that. Um, yeah. He had, he had uh, questions about, like, uh, Jewish humanism and uh, the Jewish kingdom and them being all about themselves and basically taking what God gave them and turning it into another Tower of Babel. I mean, it's, I mean, the thing is, it's so profound and so easy that people don't like to hear how easy it is. But the Bible produces a cyclical human history that if we stay in and of ourselves, we are always bend, bent to destruction. We build something, it gets destroyed. God has given us a clear picture of that. So we need to stop and we need to go, God is um, the one coming down, giving us the giving us being gracious because the law is already on our hearts and we know and we're suppressing it. And he goes Here's the Ten Commandments. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna write them down for you. They're gonna be in front of your eyes. And then he, you know, you got that. And but then again, you have the New Covenant that you have the Holy Spirit that writes the laws in our hearts to where we actually follow them because the law that was written was weakened by the flesh. So we need to walk in the Spirit. And it's the same rules and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's God that gets to say, and what's in your heart has got to match the written word. They have to work in tandem just like the creation and the special um, positive revelation of god has to work in tandem so you have this heaven and earth always connecting in christ and so are you going to actually be a man of the nazarene or not 
<laughs> yeah, excellent. Nazarene. With that said, so. it just demonstrates the fundamental flaw within this type of liberal Christianity, if you call it that, because it's of no Christianity at all, because Christ saves no one from sin, because there is no sin to be saved from. That's the yeah. problem with these types of statements. When you so decide that you are the one who gets to call out those who are making judgments, by making a judgment, you demonstrate the yeah. fundamental problem with your position. The position becomes, do you put God at the top where he actually already is, or do you put yourself at the top and state, I get to decide what God really said. I get to decide those who are um, being the the power brokers who are diminishing the value of other human beings by their understanding of the God who has revealed himself. That makes any yeah, sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this, I mean, this dies the death of, you know, here's a real, here's a real, um, expounded deal. Jesus said not to judge, but to judge with right judgment. Right. So he says, do not judge, um, because with a like measure, you, it'll, you'll be judged as well. And that's what we just did. That's so, right. Judge with right judgment. And how do we judge with right judgment? Again, it comes down to God has given us clear instruction, clear principles that we can take the general equity of and apply and to know what he loves, know what he hates, know what he wants, know who we are. And so, yes, uh, in a way, theology does promote the human dignity. So, like, uh, evolution can't because you're just a happenstance bag of protoplasm. And you have no meaning. There is no meaning. And if you say, well, we get to create meaning, it's like you're literally just said it's make-believe. You can go join Mr. Rogers all you want. You're no different than the puppet with a hand up its back. Right. You're just materially determined. And so, like something not personal is pulling the strings, right? Right. So, sorry, you're done. You can't do that. And then if you uh, are a Christian going, well, you know, like basically you're a, a deist with a uh, preferred um, being. Dude, that's right <laughs> that on. That you like. <laughs> um, you still, did your God talk to you? Can you say that God actually spoke? But the thing is, if you meet the God of the Bible and you said that's the one that actually spoke, like you're saying Jesus actually became flesh and had vocal cords and actually, and, and actually talked to real people. He walked this earth. He did what he did. And then he says that I and the Father are one. He's the same God of the Old Testament that uh, met, that you met, that Moses met in the bush, that Jacob wrestled, uh, the angel, all that kind of stuff. You know, then you have to, to take it all. And then uh, you, then you actually have to then get off your humanism and you got to accept the, the whole story of the Bible where, no, it's not promoting the Bible. Theology is promoting. Um, who God is, and it's who God is as he's revealed himself. So he promotes himself. He self-attests. That's theology. So again, like, um, this is a, just a, they're not arguing us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, who are they arguing here? And uh, so my, so therefore, like, my theology is going to promote you, at, is what it says. You're made in the image of God. But what's unfortunate for the other side, and it's, it's you know, I, I hate the word fortunate because everything's providential in my world. There's no chance um, right. in that. But, um, you know, like, you got to, you, there, there's, a, there's a, a matter of the nature of man. Again, if we were in a perfect world, 
we would probably come to these conclusions, right? And it's like, well, we don't. So Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve both had the law written on their heart, but what happened? They suppressed the truth. They forgot God. They wanted to build their own kingdom. They wanted to have their humanism. They wanted to promote their own dignity that they could make a moral choice. Yep. Oh, so it sounds like uh, you've been listening to a serpent at a tree, and he's offered you something pleasing to the eye, something to give you wisdom, and you've eaten of it. And you just haven't realized that... Uh, well, I hope God comes to you in the cool of the day and entreats you in grace and brings you back mm. and gives you that conqueror that crushes the snake. Covers you. If he does. Yeah. Animal skins. But then again, we also know on the other side that he hands people over to the debased mind to think pretty much a lot of themselves and be inclusive and do things that should never be done. And you know they should never be done. And you know that they're deserving of death and that you do them and you approve of them. So there's the other side of the coin. And I'm thinking that's the worldview in which uh, this uh, this this comes, and it's not not good. And so again, you have to say that God promotes um, promotes uh, the human dignity. He does, but it comes with the caveat of we screwed up. That's right. We sinned. We hate God, and uh, we don't want to have anything to do with them. But uh, I mean, the gospel is, but the the big Pauline but God thing there. Um, God God picks. And he regenerates people, and he saves people, and he changes their hearts to love him, and yes. so that we can be with him and enjoy him forever. Um, and and so you know, that's, that's, that's what. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. So that's and the it's true human is, flourishing. Yeah, yeah. And so the chief end of theology again is to promote the dignity of God and who He is, as He's revealed Himself. Thus, then lifting up man because what is man that you're mindful of him just like david wrote and then it was said in the new testament it was recounted but we have but we have this man jesus that was made a little lower than angels so jesus is the fulfillment that man couldn't do but then we get promoted with christ that's the gospel are you giving that to him or are you just trying to do some social reform stuff see this is cr CRTI stuff. This is yes. the lens. This is what happens. And again, whenever we go, if you go back to the episode where we talked about that with an MSU professor, and I asked, you know, I'm covenantal. That's my lens. I get that from scripture. That's how I view the world. So how am I supposed to put these two things together? And she said, you can't. Exactly. And so, again, think before you meme. And if you see a meme that somebody's thought before they meme, now you're getting the, his real deal and where he is. Um, think about it and can you actually make sense of it and you actually well for one for starters i i don't get again i still don't get the whole collateral damage issue i'm no. probably going to directly hurt somebody and it's not really me actually it's it's you might think it's me but that's the way that's what happened to moses israel hated moses but god said they they don't hate you there's an interesting piece when you say your theology should never have collateral damage christ makes it very clear the holy spirit was going to convict people of sin uh, in john's gospel here uh he 
said it very clearly uh, that he is going to, of course, give us a helper that's going to guide us in truth. And he is going to give us a helper, of course, it says right here in John, John 15, or is it 16? He says in John 16, 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Well, are there collateral damages as a result of the Holy Spirit convicting people of sin? Are there unintended consequences of the Holy Spirit convicting people of sin? Can you hold God to the standard by which you're saying you should hold man to? Because yeah, I, th- I think I, you know, I've read that uh, a certain person came up to Jesus and was like, you know, what do I need? What do I need? I, I've done the law. I've done all that. And Jesus says, well, how about uh, sell everything? Sell everything, get rid of everything, come follow me. And he went home like, like crying. He was down because he had many things. He didn't follow Christ. Um, I mean, we can use language and we can talk about it like how he, oh, he just slumped his shoulders. He wasn't really hurt. No, it, it sounds like he was hurt, um, but he was hurt more by the lot thinking about the loss of his stuff. Um, but you know, it's still hurt. But then again, he's a rich guy. If you have CRT crap in your head, you know, you don't care about rich people, right? right. So. Maybe if your humanism um, doesn't care about people without partiality, maybe you need to shut up. Mm, well said. Hmm. Oh, wait a second. You guys are so inclusive. You guys are so inclusive, and I'm seeing eat the rich. Do you hate rich people? I understand. Yeah, whenever you're rich, Jesus says that it's hard. Because, I mean, the Pharisees, they had their reward and the praise of men. So people that have the praises of a lot of men... I'm sure that's like putting a a camel through the eye of a needle, too. It's not just rich people. But the thing is, is we're going to always come back to this. Are you going to fight what you hate with what you hate? And that's what that's what all this thing does is like it's I want you to feel pain. I want you to feel my pain. I think we watched a movie again. I'll bring it up. Hunger Games is right before our eyes. And you saw it. You saw that the resistance was just as bad as the capital. And you probably praised Katniss for uh, knowing that the Capitol guy was going to die. So she killed the resistance person because they're two wings of the same stinking bird. They want to do the same. They want death. And Katniss actually chose life. But it was direct, not collateral damage that she did with her arrow and killing both that were being talked to by the snake. So how about that? You know, and I'm not trying to do some sort of fascist third way thinking here. It's just the Bible and and viewing the world covenantally and by God's word, uh, starting with him first and then going from there to make sense of things. So, yeah, I think we pretty much demolished that one. Yeah, man. Good work. <laughs> Demolish Good to get back into the swing. Hey, time, we will have an episode every, every week. Christ. 
in the coming weeks. We're excited to get back to that. Likewise, we're hoping to have some shorts going here in the next few weeks as well. But we'll take some clips maybe from some old episodes and from some current episodes and maybe even do some new shorts on some things. So thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you for viewing. Please share. Please subscribe. Please like. We really appreciate those things. They're quite helpful to us. And we hope you found some value in our discussion today and that it helps you as you think through many similar cultural matters. Yes. So, again, think before you meme. And with that said, this is the Tag Your Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm David Van Dever. I'm Deo. Oh, yeah.